Now, I know a lot of you maybe started your dream of a restaurant in either a food truck, maybe a ghost kitchen, or some of you are even delivering food from your home with dreams of one day being in your own space. But what's really holding you back probably is access to a commercial kitchen. My next guest on this episode is my boy, Dan Untner. He is the co-founder and CEO of Kitch. And we described, he described, one of us said this, Kitch is like the Airbnb for commercial kitchen space. Okay? So hopefully that resonates with you. They are a fantastic group of people with a wide network of commercial space across the country. And it might just be your ticket to your first step of opening your own restaurant. Check it out. Order up. Look, I'm a big believer that experience teaches. My goal with this show is to have guests to share their experience so that they can tell you what it's like, what they did right and what they did wrong. And I'm gonna share the same. Look, I'm not trying to regurgitate stuff you can find on the internet. I'm going to tell you how it really is and what it's really like to own your own place. This is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast with your host, Kyle and Sarah. This episode of the National Restaurant Owners Podcast is brought to you by Plate IQ, your accounts payable automation and expense management solution. As a restaurant owner, you know how important it is to stay on top of your bills. Plate IQ works with over 20,000 restaurants across the country, helping them manage and automate the full life cycle of the invoice process. Everything from general ledger coding up to and including bill payment. Plate IQ uses OCR. What's OCR, Kyle? I'm going to tell you. It's optical character recognition and deep machine learning to help eliminate manual data entry from the accounts payable process. With Plate IQ's vendor pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bills. That means you don't have to type it in. You scan it in, and it does the rest of the work for you. How about that? Does that save you some time, some headaches? With Plate IQ's vendor pay, you can also see what is due and when. Schedule payments via check, ACH, or Plate IQ card. Plus, you can even earn cash back. Yes, cash back on your invoices from over 180 thousand vendors. I didn't even know there were that many vendors. That's amazing. Lastly, vendor pay is also for vendors. Keeping your vendors happy will give you leverage in negotiating your terms. Vendors participating in Plate IQ's vendor pay love it because on average, they get paid 25% faster. To learn more, head over to plateiq.com, hit request demo in the top right-hand corner, and when you're done and you love it and you're ready to sign up, Mentioned that you heard all about Plate IQ on the National Restaurant Owners Podcast from Kyle and received 25% off implementation. So we're live. This is it. This is the show. Let's do it. Dan, yep. you and I, when did, when did we meet? Over, it was during um, the pandemic, right? The, the beginning of the pandemic, of like June, July. Yeah. So you have a really cool concept and I'm sure so much has developed since then. We had a quick little catch up call. Uh, so I'm privy to some of the details, but why don't you tell the folks a little bit about Kitsch and how you got started? Yeah, sure. So um, I am a long time in the industry. I've been cooking professionally since I was 16 years old. Um, I am not 16, as probably <laughs> my face could could show. Um, 
I've done Michelin star to country club to pizza places, etc. Um, I also have a legal background. Uh, I've been general counsel of several technology wow. companies. When um, around 2012, I decided to go entrepreneurial and I built a restaurant in Queens. Um, it was great. I uh, built it with uh, a great gal from Dean and DeLuca and Todd English at the Plaza. And um, we built a kind of a QSR concept, but like sort of elevated, but has an old timey feel. Um, that thing kicked my ass for <laughs> a couple of years until I learned uh, how to manage people in their mm. food business. Um, you know, working in the food industry is a lot different than being an owner in the food industry. And that doesn't mean you have to turn into like an asshole, but it does mean you have to like uh, incorporate your compassion for your employees with your desire to help your customers and mm. meld those two things together into a, a management style that took me some time. Um, and But I owned it for six plus years and we did amazing numbers out of a small kitchen um, and we crushed it. So sold that in 2019. Um, and then went into um, sort of an accelerator program and built Kitch with my co-founder, Aaron. Um, and Kitch is a marketplace that connects commercial kitchens that are underutilized or unused with mm. food operators who are looking for starting a business, expanding their delivery range, going mm. into um, catering, doing pop-ups, menu testing, all at a much lower leverage and capex than you normally would by having to do a build out. Um, and then, you know, sort of going through that whole rigmarole, signing a lease and building out a space right. can be very expensive. So very familiar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so these kitchens are either white boxes, which means they don't have equipment or um, they're fully equipped, but either way they have sinks and hoods and you can roll in equipment. And we deal with um, on the operator side, we deal with, you know, groups that are some of the largest um, on the planet to very small startups and all of them sort of see that value proposition uh, for whatever their purposes are. Very cool. All right. So there's a lot there, but I think it makes sense to go back to because now now you said 16. Now I just have an image of, of 16-year-old Dan walking into a kitchen. Tell me about how you got started cooking at that age. Uh, well, my mom was um, my mom was a great cook, and amongst her friends, you know, she was she was sort of at that uh, razor's edge of interesting cuisine back in the seventies. <laughs> you know, like they're like your yeah, mom yeah. Cooks in the California style. Oh my god! That's and a... in New Jersey, right? Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. Like, that meant she put like a, a piece of lettuce on a plate next to the chicken pot. You know what I mean? Like you're like, yeah, I, I've heard this avocado Dude. thing. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I was just going to say that my mom was similar. She would cook like out of, uh, like out of good housekeeping, like totally that's her whole, her whole bag. But then I remember she brought home an avocado one time and we were all like, what the fuck do we do? What do we, what, how do you eat this? What do you do with this thing? And it sat there and, and people would come over and like, look at it. Like, wow, yeah. look at this. All right. So your mom was the same vibe. All right, cool. Um, so that's just the love. Uh, I mean, what is it? It's a love of creation, mm. right? You create things. And then people turn around. They're like, this is so good. And like, basically what you're doing is you're making people happy Yeah. through a creative exercise. That's a little muscular. You're like, yeah, I've got some flames going, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, 
so I love that. Um, yeah. I love cooking for people. I love making people happy through the food that I make. Um, and, uh, yeah, I started working for a pizza place, uh, when I was 16, I was doing pizza deliveries. Um, but then of course the chef probably dropped dead or like moved back to Cincinnati <laughs> or, you know, who knows? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Either way you look at it, uh, immediately there was an opening, um, I was left alone um, in the kitchen and immediately sliced my thumb into two different pieces <laughs> of the thumb. Uh, blood everywhere. Oh, Jesus, I'm like man. Sandwich slicer. I'm like rolling sandwiches. There's blood everywhere. Um, <laughs> but I fell in love with it. I just, uh, you know, it worked for me. And I cooked my way through undergrad and through grad school. Did you get a lot of like, you know, because when we were, I mean, we're about the same age, right? I'm 45. Yeah. So like, so at that time it wasn't that cool to be a cook, right? It was kind of like, what are you doing, dude? Like, why don't you go work somewhere else? Or why don't you get something else going? Like, did you get any of that kind of pushback? And, and if you, how did you deal with it? Well, certainly it was the pre Anthony Bourdain. It was pretty, yeah, pretty much exactly. thing in the mainstream in regards to cooking. But, um, I, you know, it was better than digging ditches. Yeah. <laughs> something that, uh, you know, yeah. that was the right thing for me to do. I don't think I yeah. ever really looked at it like, you know, girls are going to think it's cool. They didn't. No. Um, it's going to pay well. It doesn't. No. Um, it's going to be good for me in any way. Well, no. I mean, long hours, <laughs> you're burning hot. In undergrad, I was cooking with a wood-burning oven in Vermont. Yeah, wow. Um, that's cool, dishwasher. I mean, it was like... This fucking <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and in San Francisco, when I was in grad school, um, I was working at a large grill a grill spot, like one of those, uh, sort of, Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of political people, yeah. um, a lot of steaks, a big lunch crowd, all striated based on like how important you were yep. political system. Um, and it was a madhouse, but I love that. You know what that, yeah. The other thing that's really important is I find that meditative. I think I, like, dude, yeah. kitchen and, all of that is something within me, like relaxes me. Yeah, I know. I, my my wife will every once in a while I'll be like, I'm gonna go. Particularly now, like working from home, I just gotta get out, right? I'll not do anything. So I'm like, I'm gonna make this dish, and she's like, I thought you said you just like wanted to relax tonight. I'm like, I do. This is step one. Just like let me just do this. This is it's so great. People don't get that. It's it's work to so many people. Yes, it, I mean you know, but it is physical, and like the physical part of it is what I like the most. Timing. Yeah. You got 10, you know, burners going, the oven's pumping and you're yep. like, work, and it, what you're not doing is thinking and stressing out about like your life yep. or about other things or you're into relationships with other people. All you're yep. thinking about is like, is this burger medium well? Yeah. <laughs> is this steak medium rare? Is there enough salt in that sauce? Like it's yeah. not mental at all. No, you get in and you get like into a flow where it's like a dance to me. I played sports all through high school and college and it reminded me of a very, there was a, a very athletic type vibe to where there was a start time. There was like, you know, what it was really, you're really battling it when you're in the weeds type of deal. And then it was over and yeah. you would like hang out and have a drink and that was it. So I, I connected with it that way. So that's, it's great that you saw it the same way. It's uh, I think a lot of people connect with that energy. That's what it is. There's, there's a certain vibe to it and there's a certain, energy to both the front of the house and the back of the house. So you, you now are, you're, you're kind of 16, you're in it, you're getting a little bit older now, grad school, 
What what are you thinking? Where, where did you think that this was all going to end up? Well, I didn't do a lot of thinking back then. I barely <laughs> do any now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But, <laughs> uh, you know, um, I, again, just, it was a way for me to sort of bring in some money and to stay social, which was really great. Like, it's, there yeah. was a really social and interesting atmosphere, and especially in the back of the house, but front of the house, too. Um and in law school, you know, I ended up gravitating towards media and entertainment. And mm. I learned like a decade and a half later, having been an artist represent, uh, doing artist rep on the legal side and on, in music mostly, um, and doing it in San Francisco and then doing it in LA, um, it was sort of the same thing, mm. you know, like you're supporting the arts. Food yep. is one of the is one of the greats. Music is one of the greats for me. Those were like my two my two uh, apexes right there. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean that's but that's only looking back, mm. being like, oh, this all fits together. This is sort of your personality. Yeah, time I'm like, this is just what I'm doing. I don't. Think yes, right. No, I I'm dude. I'm with you on that, and particularly like. I mean, I was working on Wall Street before I went to culinary school to do all that stuff. So my parents were like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. This just has been a draw to me. And I think now where I'm at in my career, I'm like, it all kind of makes sense. But definitely at the time, I wasn't like, this is working out exactly as planned. <laughs> definitely not. You know, it's just right. a good time. I, had to, I loved it. It was a passion. And taking it to like present day, when yeah. someone on the operator side of Kitsch is like, so I've got three restaurants in New York. Uh, we can't deliver to like Chelsea and the Upper West Side really effectively. Like for me, like hearing that kind of stuff, I get like real into it. I'm like, all right, well, what's hmm. your concept? I'm like, well, we're doing dumb. I'm like, all right, well, like, you know, like you can do like this kind of thing. You could work with this kind of kitchen. You could do a ghost operation. You could do like a hmm. pop-up. You know, like I start getting all like wacky, like riled up. Um, and like locked into like pretty much any creative enterprise. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. I just start getting like real attached, um, and excited. And, uh, even to this day, people reach out to me in regards to kitsch in regards to what's a good next step for us. Like does a ghost kitchen or does a hotel, does anything, anything in your sort of world work? I ended up with like a consulting job that I don't even get paid for. Yeah. Uh, I like dig into their model. I'm like, well, yeah. you know what I'm thinking? Like, cause you know, like if you don't know, um, you know, and you're just like, I want a ghost kitchen cause it's cool. Um, yeah, that's not great. Yeah. going to be, yeah, no, I know that, that there's, yeah, there's, there's, that's definitely not the move for somebody who's getting started for sure. I, I, I'm curious though, that was kitsch and, and I, and I totally know that vibe. And I, and I would say that almost all my wife would always be like, why don't you just open another restaurant? I'm like, cause I don't want it. She's like, we have all these ideas. I'm like, nah, but I don't, I know what else is behind the curtain. I'm all set on that. But yeah. was, was kitsch in the works beforehand or like, what was the impetus for starting kitsch? Well, so my restaurant was, um, right over the Queensboro bridge, um, on the, in Queens mm -hmm. and. I had a ton of, because of, like, I'm this like legal guy, you know, I ended up going out and shaking a lot of hands and getting a ton of catering. I mean, we were doing almost a half a million dollars in catering a year, Sick. That's mostly nice. in Midtown out of a 200 square foot kitchen that was already lines out the door from our local Oof. world. Yeah, it was a disaster. What happened <laughs> is I redlined my staff and like, there's great money there, but like, there's only so many 
tips and like, you know, um, overtime that you could pay your staff until they're like, this is just too much. It's just not worth it. Um, so I immediately started looking like, can I do Long Island city? Can I do uh, Bloomingdale district in, in Manhattan? Can I do, um, Soho and, you know, every step that I took, especially as a sole owner operator, I didn't have like a team mm. people. So like I'm out looking and they're like, yeah, this place is like kind of fucked up, but like, you know, it's only 39 K a month. And I'm like, well, with my current catering and I could like probably run delivery out here out of like a small non storefront kind of place, um, which is essentially a ghost kitchen with a catering operation attached to it. <laughs> That's cool. But like with the front of house, now it's like a full staff, um, yeah. 40K a month. Now, if I like, and I'm telling you, I'm doing 500K in, um, in catering. So that's kind of that right there in rent. And that's yeah. not including staff. Oh, yeah, no. All of the equipment and all the headaches that come, the expenses that come with an operation like that. So I'm like, fuck, like if we don't, if we don't overperform, which is a really dumb way to look. Yeah, right. We really happening, I'm going to be crushed. Yeah. Um, and then my store number one is going to start supporting store number two. And then it's like dawning yeah. on me, like how the restaurant industry is such a fragile and stressful industry because of the leverage, because yeah. of like every decision that you have to make based on being a victim of your own success is based on, all right, well, roll the dice again. Let's hopefully this yeah. fucking works. And until, and it's common knowledge. I mean, until you get to like five stores, it's pretty much you doing it. And it's, I was putting my everything into store one and I would have to split myself into two to do yeah. both. Um, which would be cool if I was like 31, but I'm not. Uh, <laughs> and then like, you know, you just start looking at store number three. Everyone's like, yeah, well, how many do you have? I'm like one. And they're like, you should be at four now. I'm like, yeah, you're right. But I'm like sweating. I don't know what yeah. pulse is up. So when I eventually sold Kitsch and like a lot of that, re- sorry, excuse me, selling uh, my uh, restaurant, Redwood, um, the reason, the impetus behind that was sort of, I can, I'm not expanding this. Like, mm. I'm not going to roll that dice. I'm right. not doing it. So like the first person that came in with a really good offer I was like, great, yeah. uh, because I, I just, I'm not going to mom and pop this like, yeah, right. for the next 20 years. God, no, right. Yeah, that's that's um, that's the thing that we talk about a couple of times. It's come up both on the commercial real estate side with clients and just talking to folks on this show is like two takeaways. One that I really wish I knew was f- figure out when I was in the restaurant business is how did I want this to end? They're like, once you know how you want this to end, you want to build it to 100 units and, fran- and like sell it like corporate or do you want to franchise it? Do you want to work here forever? Uh, that will guide every other decision. That is something I really wish I knew. And the other one was, is that your second location is your first restaurant. Yeah. And it's like so true because you're like, holy shit, the same thing's going on here as over there. I got to get over there. I can't be like, you know, and then you're like, okay, now I got to figure out staffing and managing and delegating and right. training. Yeah, it's, it's a lot, man. It's a lot. It's a lot. So when I got into this accelerator program, um, it was, I mean, it was a pretty clear pathway for me to say, because people, they were really, I mean, the, the, the accelerator group was called Antler, and they were really supportive in the sense of like, well, what is your like, why do you have PTSD? 
why are you a hot mess after selling your restaurant? I'm like, because <laughs> all these problems that I had. And they're like, yeah. I can solve the problem. What was yeah. the problem you had? I'm like, I can't, you can't expand without like, you know, basically ripping your pants off and giving them to the bank. Yeah. Unless you are, unless you're independently wealthy and then kind of, what are you doing in a restaurant? But yeah. um, unless it's like ego, but um, how do you solve it? And necessity is the mother of invention. I mean, if I had, you know, um, all the money in the world, maybe I'd be, you know, sort of building out, you know, ghost kitchen sort of in the um, cloud kitchen type of way. But um, as it is, I just decided to build a marketplace. And my co-founder, Aaron, was of the same mindset. He came from a real estate background. Um, and we we're like, let's just like put, there's so many assets mm. out there. I mean, so many restaurants are not running at 24 hours. I mean, it's like, right. oh, yep. so let's put them to work. Um, and I really like that, too, because it has like sort of a con conservation-y kind of vibe to it. There's a triple bottom line, people, less less building, less new stuff. Mm -hmm. There's some, there's a ton of great assets out there from hotels to commissaries to nightclubs to restaurants yeah. to, I mean, legacy brands like your TGF Fridays or like, you know, like Hulans, you know, like they have these huge kitchens and they're busy, you know, a couple hours a week. Um, let's put, put them to work. Let's yeah. those things and give a lot of people an opportunity and a really lowered, you know, barrier of entry um, to to run these things and to expand their particular brand or open yeah. a restaurant or whatever. I and mean, we've seen it all. We've seen it all. Yeah, and that's what's great about it. Even somebody who, because I'm thinking like somebody who started like a salad dressing or a hot sauce company during COVID, mm -hmm. or somebody who does a ghost kitchen on a regular basis. I mean, for that a person who's making the hot sauce or the salad dressing, it doesn't take that much more effort to make a thousand bottles as it does to make a hundred bottles of the dressing. You just need the space. You need the, you need to have the place to put your, you know, you, you can buy, you know, cases of olive oil, cases of bottles. It's a whole different ball game. So I'd imagine people really, you know, took off by being, by leveraging Kitsch to, to grow their brand. Yeah. I mean, in the CPG space, what you're talking about, um, that is like, you know, sort of that startup world and there's yeah. not the kind of money and there's not a lot of, um, available space for them and there's like in new york there's the queen's e-space um but they're like always booked but they're fantastic for like light manufacturing mm -hmm. um otherwise you know maybe there's a few other opportunities but essentially you need what we have you yeah. need like a kitchen that's available that is commercial and licensed so you know it can be inspected um and you need to like just do yeah a run of a thousand hot sauces um, without yeah. basically putting, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars on your credit card. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the huge part, right? I mean, so now if I'm, if I'm that person, right, if I'm the hot sauce guy, what is that experience like for me? Like, how do I, how do I use kitchen? How do I, what does it look like for me to get involved? And what does it look like for me on a regular basis? Well, luckily it's fairly simple. And, uh, I had to make it like that because, you know, you, Cooks, you man. go on Airbnb, <laughs> When you go on Airbnb, it has to be like really easy, right? It has yeah. to be like I want to like I want to do hot sauce. I want yeah. to do like one or two runs, and then see how it goes, which is really like the way startups should be built, right? Yeah. I'm not only to like sign a lease and like do this whole nonsense. So 
um, you go on Kitchen, it's similar to Airbnb. You just go on the map and you're like, well, I live in Brooklyn. So, you know, Brooklyn's kind of best case scenario for me. And you find seven places. You see how much it costs for them to do daily um, daily work. You see the, what mm. they have in their existing equipment. You see what they have for storage. For someone that's doing a thousand hot sauces, you probably want a lot of dry and cold storage. Um, and for that kind of scenario, you want like a loading dock, perhaps, you know, something. So you're not like, mm-hmm. this up like stairs of a hotel or something. Um, and you narrow it down to four or five and then you message them like, Hey, I'm looking to do these few days, mm-hmm. um, maybe like two weeks in December, um, to do like a, a, a run. Um, and one of them will get back to you or two of them and be like, yeah, I mean, you know, we're not booked. This is perfect. Yeah. Come on in. Come visit the space, take a look around, um, and uh, and then they make an offer. This year, so then I'm dealing I'm dealing directly with the person running that operation, mm-hmm. the owner of the yeah. business or the owner of the building. Okay, right. oh, that's really cool. I mean, Kitch, our benefit in that regard is that we have a great contractual process, so like everyone's aware of what they're doing. You know that it's between December 15 and December 30 that the guy's going to be there, you know, he's going to be there with one other person mm. and needs storage. There's no like, well, I thought that it was X, but it's really Y. It's really like we sort of force people to put everything down. It's not like super common. It's like seven yeah. or eight sort of questions that everyone's agreeing to and it becomes a contract yep. and then payment goes through us too. So we make it like really easy. There's dispute resolution. If like someone, you know, rams their head into your um, – <laughs> RoboCoop or something, you know, like <laughs> whatever it is. Who ran uh, their head into my RoboCoop? I swear, uh, <laughs> I was drunk. But um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so there's all of these um, sort of processes in place that make a transaction between two strangers um, mm-hmm. as easy as possible. And you know, I'm a lawyer, so like I believe that good fences make good neighbors. Um, that's just my. I- stupid viewpoint in life thanks to law school so um so yeah we have all of that put together that's great i mean i'd imagine this time of year you get a little ramp up in activity or is that what like i think actually the, my my bigger question is are most of these folks ghost kitchen pop-ups and you and i also touched on another aspect that i see kitchen being very beneficial for that we could touch on but are they doing like how does it work if it's a somebody's like i want to do my ghost kitchen every day from 12 to midnight I want to run it. I mean, the restaurant has to be vacant or the space has to be vacant, right? I mean, there's nobody else going in there. Correct. I mean, if you really want like a full two or if you want a three shift deal, I mean, if you, there we have restaurants that will offer two shifts. Um, wow. Like we have like Midtown, busy, but dinner, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's mm-hmm. it. Otherwise, you could do uh, 6 a.m. to – Two thirty, three o'clock. That's a solid breakfast and lunch shift in Midtown. That's pretty valuable. Yeah, uh, fully built out kitchen. That's available. Um, wow. And then we have a lot of like, for example, a deli that's like crushing bacon, egg, and cheeses and sandwiches. And then like come three o'clock, you know, no. nobody's calling. Nobody wants a chicken parm. You know, for dinner maybe there's like five or six a night. So like for them, it's like, well, we have two guys already. Mm. You know, cleaning um and then you know you can add another couple of people so now the restaurant owner that deli person Mm. like five grand a month 
uh, and there's a couple extra people there, and they all seem to get along, and um, you know, then it works. So um, hold on. So then, then it's like, so if I have a deli and I have, I work, you know, I'm busy midtown, dries up three o'clock, maybe I'm selling something between three and six, whatever, but nothing's really crazy. Definitely not at night. Like, am I giving you? Am I making an arrangement with this this person coming from kitchen? Like, hey, these two guys, they're looking for extra hours. And I'm paying them, or is, or like, how does that dynamic work? No, I mean, in this instance, it's um, it's other labor, like two other people I coming gotcha. in, and they're going to do their um, taco concept, right? Um, I gotcha. And maybe you just like you know you keep your one guy who's going to like sort of clean and and keep things yeah. uh, keep things going, uh, and if there's a couple orders that come in, maybe he could do those too. But essentially, it's like it's not really. Yeah, it's not like there's not much in the way of overlap. I mean, sometimes that does work. Um, We have groups that have been together for now over a year or over, you know, a year and a half. We've been in business for two plus years Um, and they seem to like have integrated completely. We've got groups in hotels. Mm. They're now doing the hotel F&B. They've hired some staff from the hotel into the onto their own PL and now the hotel's like, all right, well, if you do that, then you can serve our guests and we'll pay you um, a per, you know, per order, like a flat fee. Yeah. Um, and they make these own arrangements. I mean, for Hitch, it's, it doesn't, the more integrated, oh, yeah. the better, you know, like just do. And a lot of people ask those, that question a lot. Like, well, when someone's in here, like, how do I, what if I have a catering deal? Mm-hmm. And or like a something else to do, and I'm like, so talk to them and see if they'll do it. And get a yeah. good price. Yeah, right. Sure, they want awesome. sure Especially make- when with the labor issue that people are are talking about, like they can't find people. If you got somebody willing to help you out, I would imagine that's an asset more than anything. Total. So now, kitchens available across the country, correct? Correct. We now that's great. Have recently in the past month have added upwards of two thousand new kitchens. That's um, it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, we struggle Tough. to keep kitchens on our platform. And to your earlier point, the market now is just—it's wild. I mean, we can't keep a good kitchen on our platform for more than three days. Mm, uh, wow! Something like four or five qualified offers. We get. I mean, uh, any kitchen that goes on our platform within within a certain sort of, you know, like if it's in the middle of nowhere and there's no equipment or something, maybe it won't get offers. But like generally in any of our like top tier markets, if you're on our, if you list a kitchen on our platform, it's um, 0.7 days. So less than a day before you get 3.4 qualified. Wow. So like the day that you put it up, Within a day or two, you're getting like four people. Like, I want that. I want it right now. I like the price that you're offering it at. Mm. Can I come in and check it out? So, like, our kitchens tend to churn out. Um, and then someone's like, "Well, I'm looking for something in San Francisco, but the three or four places that you had are um, are booked." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's it's what happens in life, right? What happens? Yeah, I, I can help you, but." Now we have uh, a couple of significant partnerships with bigger groups um, and can offer thousands of opportunities <laughs> across this great nation. You know what I love about it? And we spoke about this on, on our little prep call was um, testing new markets for expanding restaurants. 
right? Yeah. Put your, you know, play, play the hits, right? Get out there, pull your top 10 things and sell it as a ghost kitchen and see, see if this, if you're going to have any traction in that market before laying 2 million bucks out on the table to, to lease a space, right? And do you see any groups do, taking advantage of that? A ton. I would say that really? makes up about 50% of our transaction wow. right now. It's huge. That is the best version of adaptation of like sort of utilizing the ghost kitchen world that I've mm-hmm. seen, right? I mean, you've got groups like, you know, Sweet Green or something. Um, they look at like the the sort of Grubhub delivery timeframes. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, and Chelsea, we're doing 55 minutes. We could stick a ghost kitchen in there, you know, for 3500 bucks a month and go from 55 to 15 minutes. Yeah. We make our wow. money back in like, you know, our ROI is like a day. Yeah. You know, like we'll make that money back very quickly. Um, we see that too. But those are larger, more mature organizations. What we're sort of talking about is a like a regional player who's mm-hmm. five or six in a region like New York, for example. And then it's like, well, how are we going to do in Boston? Yeah. And do we really want to be doing that million to $2 million investment in a, a market that we don't even know if they care what we're selling? Yep. I love yeah. that. I yeah. get off on that. I'm like, dude, oh. marketing blitz, ghost kitchen. We could do it as a pop-up. I mean, a lot of instances, a lot of our kitchens do have front of house opportunities. Hmm. Some hotels, for example, are like, yeah, if you want to do a pop-up and we'll put up some signage of party, you know what I mean? Then do delivery, yeah. start doing catering. And they're like, now you have product market fit or you don't. Right? Yeah. And either way, you're, you, yeah, you could be out of it in a month as opposed to 10 years. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like, yeah. you know, uh, if you're a winner in the market, then go make much more money with a brick and mortar and a liquor license yeah. and signage and like a killer social media strategy. I mean, fine. Well, you've proven that. And now you can sort of, you're not really rolling the dice in the same way. The odds are still yeah. in favor. On the yeah. other side is if it like nobody gives a shit and like your concept's just not hitting, well, you didn't lose anything. Right. Losing I can go home. Right. <laughs> that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, that is, that's super smart. I mean, I think that when, when you're looking at, you know, these markets, I think when anyone's looking at it, whether it's to use kits or a restaurant, you want to be able to hit your, your core customer. And if you can do that, and I think, I mean, obviously, you know, this, we had a, we had a call with my buddy, Russ, who was at the savory conference and they were talking about what makes restaurants investable and what they look for. And if you can crank it out of a smaller footprint with low startup cost, there is no shortage. The money will not stop coming at you. Correct. Right? Like from the, if you're in front of the right people, they're going to be like, well, cool. Let's open up 3000 of these. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's that old model was, no, we need this big, heavy footprint here and here and here and here. The yeah. now ability to be more adaptive, I think is, is huge. So now is, is Kitsch, is Kitsch maturing? Like where, what, is there another iteration you see coming? How, how is this all going to play out? Do you think? Um, you know, there isn't much in the way of pivoting out of our current, um, sort of strata in mm-hmm. terms of offering an Airbnb-like experience. Um, one of the things that, you know, again, there's sort of this major struggle to bring in supply. Um, one of the things we started doing was looking at hotels, right? Hotels, oh, yeah. hanging fruit. There were some players there. Now there isn't. Um, and we're like, well, how can we help the hotel by helping ourselves? We're very selfish. Anyway, 
Um, <laughs> how can we help you help us help you help us? Um, exactly. That sounds fair. Very interesting because they are looking to offer their kitchen. They need operators. If you want a Marriott or a Hilton or Hyatt flag on your property, you do need to offer F and B. Yeah. But oh, F and B, yeah. if you're a hotelier and not a restaurateur, F and B is a nightmare. Yeah, oh yeah. It's a money losing proposition across the board. I mean, generally speaking, hotels lose around eight grand a month. I mean, there's stories of people, you know, running hotels in Miami where they're losing a hundred grand a month. Yeesh. Um, Ugh, that's disgusting. Generally speaking, it's a money losing proposition. You own 30 hotels. That's not a small number. Um, so they're like, please use our kitchen. Please <laughs> yeah. run a food hall or a restaurant concept, Anything. a kitchen, a catering, um, meal kits, meal plans, do whatever you want. But like what we need is something for our guests and it has to sort of meet flag requirements. That is a whole nother piece of a business that um, we've put a lot of thought into and we've started like sort of piloting some scenarios. Yeah. I mean, they, they just want somebody who can make the cheeseburger at 11 o'clock, right? Yeah. Like that's basically what it comes down to. Totally. So, I mean, that's interesting because I was just talking to a guy in the city who's taking over a bunch of hotels and he's got these, um, we should talk offline. It's just clicking with me. He's, he's, um, has these hotels and he has these restaurant spaces and he can't find anybody to run them. And what he's being approached by are some of these chefs and stuff. He's got good locations near rock center. Uh, one is downtown, I think nomad area. And he's like, you know, all these restaurants coming at me with management deals. Nobody wants to sign a lease. They just want, they're like, Hey, we'll manage everything in here, but we're not, we're not married to this place. And yeah. he's not into it. I didn't understand why, but you know, it seems it, that, that is the thing though, right? Like they, these chefs who want to come in here, they don't want to make the cheeseburger at 11 o'clock. They don't want to be making the, the continental buffet. They want to, yeah. there's a little, there's a little ego there. I think. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> a little, a little push and pull. That's why it is different than our, um, you know, sort of standalone kitsch model. There is more of a, a relationship that has to be put together, but there are groups that are, um, more than happy to, I mean, I'm helping a, a Japanese group um, come into come into New York. They have got a hundred ghost kitchens in New York. In uh, excuse me, in Japan. Jesus, um, I know. And like they do some brick and mortars, but they support their whole model through ghost operations. And Smart they cover though. A lot of ground, and they've got killer social media. They crush it. Um, they're in Singapore now. So in New York, they're like, well, if we do hotels, can we do like a Japanese breakfast? Rated. Mm. Um, thing of, like, that sounds delicious. I'm yeah. Doing, I'm helping you I'm do this. And they're like, how much do you cost? I'm like, nothing. I'm doing this. Like, cause I, you know, I'm not normal. Yeah. <laughs> Unicorn. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, hotels are, they're like, uh, yes, you're totally right. Um, they are looking at management type payments mm. and they're not looking at leases. Uh, which sort of is to the chagrin of the market. I mean, on yeah. the state side, you know better than me, but as soon as people start seeing options that are not a full lease, um, they gravitate towards it because yeah. the market is sort of, the market has its own pulls and levers and buttons, right? You're That's like, it. Well, I could find a 10-year lease. That's pretty fucked up in relation to 
I could sign a management contract that's like a rolling six month deal and gives me an option to stay as long as I want. Yeah. Not leveraged. I mean, sure, you can't really sell that as a you can't sell that, right? Because like and you know this better than anyone, but you know, in a lease term, you're like at that seven U mark, you have to sort of start renegotiating or oh, yeah. sell your operation because now you've got that that stability. Whereas now valuations are like, all right, well, we know you don't have stability, but you've got flexibility. <laughs> yeah. Right? You, if yeah. you get kicked out of or you leave that hotel, there's seven or eight places within a three-block radius that you could just dump your operation into, and no one's the wiser. No one cares. Yeah, no. On Grubhub. Yeah, no. All right, exactly. No, I think that's um, that's a that's a great lesson is like you have to react to the market. You know, I think a lot of the restaurants that were have been struggling or struggled or, or went out of business during the, the, the pandemic, they were trying to force their model through the situation and be like, still sell their salmon to go home. You don't want the salmon, dude. You know, make a turkey club, make a burger, get, sell food, like just figure this out. But if you can just like adapt and be able to nimble, there's so much opportunity out there for, for restaurants and different types of chefs to get yeah. something going. Absolutely. But it does take groups like kitsch to sort of get out there oh, yeah. and sort of break that ground and like try to explain these different scenarios because on the landlord side you know they're look, looking at you know this sort of market like mm. that sucks right yeah I mean, right it's fractional nothing is like stable i can't like live in miami and have three buildings in new york city and have all my rentals like my commercial my commercial rentals just be like of tw the 20 year nature yeah now it's like well you've got like a year you've got some income um mm. but now you're gonna do some building and working and try to bring in these flexible things so you need these other groups like kitsch to sort oh, of yeah. step in and be like we'll provide you with a ton of income yep we're gonna get paid for that but so did your broker you know like so did those yeah. things so um, yeah, it's just changing times. Yeah, access. I mean, anybody who's tried to look for their own commercial space can appreciate the ease of kitsch, I would imagine. Yeah, we As have a lot of people that are like, this sucks. Yeah, yeah. All right, so um, tell everybody how they can how they can get started and, and where they can find kitsch and all that fun stuff. So um, it's usekitsch.com. It's very self-explanatory. If you're in the food business or you own a kitchen asset, and you go on to usekitch.com, you're gonna find the rest of it very easy. Are you listing a kitchen? Are you searching for kitchens? Um, and if you understand the value proposition of what it is that we're talking about on our site, then you'll find this whole thing to be extraordinarily easy. That being said, um, we do have a help button. So if you don't know what you're doing- There it is. This um, is kitchen right here, I believe. Should be coming up in a second. Nice. Um, I don't know what's taking so long, but yeah, I mean, it, it is, that is great. And you have all the cities listed here. I'm not sure why it's not loading here, but I can see it. You have all the cities, uh, Atlanta, Boston, Detroit, Los Angeles, Charlotte, Chicago, Nashville, Dallas, New York, and Denver. And yeah. then you have all the, the pictures of the, of these kitchens. And it looks like, I don't know if it's geolocating me or whatever, but it just pulled up three locations near me. There we go. There it is. Where you live, man. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm right there. I'm watching you. No, yeah. I mean, oh, I'm probably geolocated, but um, but yeah. Awesome. Well, um, thank you for your time here, sir. I appreciate it, and I am um looking forward to seeing what what comes next from Kitsch, and I'm looking forward to our uh, our cocktail lunch. Same.
<laughs> Have a great Thanksgiving. Um, too. And Thanks I'll catch up with you soon. Program. Appreciate it. All right. Let's see. All right. Good, man. Thank you for checking out another episode of the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. If you enjoyed it and you'd like to help support the show, share with your friends. Share with your restaurant buddies. Share with your people who want to be restaurant people. That'd be great. And you could post on your social, too. We, we would love that. Tag us. We'll share it in, in kind. Right? That's what they say. We'll share it in kind. So you share and we'll share it. And if it's not too much to ask, one other little thing or two other little things, if you could leave us a rating and review, we'd really appreciate it because that's what kind of like bumps us up and, and makes us you know more visible to other restaurant folks who are looking for us. So that'd be great. To catch all the latest from me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at Kyle and Sarah. Also at Kyle and Sarah on Twitter and on TikTok and LinkedIn. So that's great. If you want to follow the show, it's at restaurant underscore owners underscore podcast on Instagram. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.